0: start with a quote from the buddha it is in this way that we must train ourselves by liberation of the self through love we will develop love we will practice it we will make it both a way and a basis take our stand upon it store it up and thoroughly set it going So the liberation of the self through love. Have you remembered that part during your days and weeks here? Because the Dharma teachings point so excellently to the wisdom aspect and the Buddha's real strength is pointing to the wisdom of emptiness, sometimes we can mistakenly forget that the two wings of the path are the wisdom and the love. And we know this has happened in our practice if we get dry. Anyone ever got a little dry in their practice? If we get very much in our head sometimes. And there are a lot of openings that can happen in the head. But if we really want to open and have this path transform us, We need to understand and remember the marriage of the capacity to see things as they are with that kind of objectivity and crispness and clarity. The marriage of that with the sensitivity, the open, the undefended. So this morning I want to speak about one of the faces of love, one of the aspects of love. Um, When love, the face of love is turned towards suffering, our own, of the other, of our world. Actually it's not so different in the end. But when the face of love is turned towards suffering, the face of love that arises is compassion, compassion. A particular aspect of love that has to do um, has to do with suffering. Has to do with the capacity to be completely intimate, resonate along with the suffering. So, I want to clarify: in the teachings, compassion is uh, the, the, the word karuna. Also, means something very active. It means in action. Right? So very often there can be a compassionate response that may be active. It doesn't always mean it's what we think of as compassion. As we explore this path, we need to be open to uh, new ways of understanding what love actually looks like, not just the old or the limited version we've known so far, or even the beautiful version we knew ten years ago but for it to be a truly transformed uh, aspect of our path, it is something quite extraordinary. In fact, it's considered boundless, unmeasurable, not measurable by any past experience or measurable by the limits of our mind saying yes, this much, but something that is part of our nature, that is an aspect of who we are that we need to remember and rediscover as we go along this path because sometimes it's really hard sometimes it's hard (laughs) so this quality that can pulsate along with The suffering, your suffering, my suffering, can pulsate along with. It's even like the language of being, um, you know, being on the right wavelength. Literally, compassion is so fine and extraordinary. The wavelength of it is so subtle, it's more intimate than our breath. It's more intimate than our suffering. And it's more intimate even than all the conclusions we have about our suffering. Some of what makes it hard to uh, make contact with our own suffering are the conclusions we have about ourself because of it. Have you got any of those? Right? You know, we may have pockets of pain, of grief, of sorrow, of regret, of um, hatred, of, of things that are difficult to bear. But what ties it all up, what makes it seem so fixed and solid, is the conclusion we make about ourselves. So, what conclusions does your mind make about yourself because of your suffering? Well, one of them can be just the fact that we might suffer at all. Sometimes we can have a a self-view, oh, that must mean I'm doing something wrong. If it's difficult, painful, unpleasant, sometimes there can be a big I am in the middle of it, which means I'm doing something wrong for this suffering to be here. If I was doing my life right, I wouldn't suffer. Does that ring a bell with anyone? if I was doing it all right then this wouldn't be here so this really shouldn't be here this is an aberration this is a mistake it isn't and it isn't evidence that we're doing a life wrong it's evidence that there's suffering present right now that's all it's evidence that there's something hard to bear right now sometimes with our pockets of grief, let's say. There can be a self-belief of we don't quite want to go near it because we believe it will never end. Have you noticed that with grief or sorrow? It's like, oh no, I'm not going to go here. It's That's endless. That's an endless pit of misery. I'm not going to touch it. We have a belief in its continuity, a belief in its actually we're giving it a uh, a solidity through fear which it doesn't actually have what about if you see pockets of hatred arise in you any conclusion can is it just oh okay there's hatred arising Breathing, recognizing, opening, not feeding. That's not usually the case. Normally, oh, that shouldn't be here. That definitely shouldn't be here. That must mean I'm bad. You know, there's another conclusion added on to it, which locks the whole thing in place. It's true, it hurts, it's painful. But that's very different from the addition of self. Right at the center where the key is locked, thrown away, and then here, here it is. This is the truth. I am bad. It's very painful. What else do you notice? Any other beliefs that kind of lock in place the formation that makes it hard for us to pulsate along with? They're endless, aren't they? They're endless. Sometimes we have the view, oh, I'm suffering, that means I'm doing it right. You know, that's what the Buddha always talked about, that means it must be good. No pain, no gain. It's another view. It's another view that keeps us in a fixed position to the places that quite frankly hurt in us, they're hard to pulsate along with they break us open and sometimes we don't want to be broken open we might like the idea, don't you like, it's like oh yes, openness well on the journey to openness sometimes things get a little shaken on the journey to openness it's not all fun and games because a lot of places in us are closed from the way we've encapsulated around the very specifically painful things that have happened to us the emotional hurt the painful events family world the specific things that encapsulate and have a kind of hard barrier right to the very fact of perceiving ourselves as a separate isolated self that too is a kind of an encapsulation it's a, it's a kind of, well it's not a kind of, it is, it's a barrier it's a boundary that on examination does not actually exist that too is suffering, that encapsulation of me is me here and there's you lot out there So, sometimes when we meet these either pockets of pain or just the whole sense of our own separatedness, which is painful actually, they are the places where compassion can arise. And it's not me that has to do the compassion, it is actually part of our nature part of who we are but from that place of identifying with this small nugget of encapsulated pain or this big nugget of encapsulated separateness from that perspective we cannot imagine that compassion is our nature It's like tell me another one I'm tight stuck in pain giving up had enough i'm out of here willing to hang out at the place of that edge these are the this is the place where compassion can arise like a a balm from beyond like a balm from beyond Like a tenderness, or it is a. T- it's not like a tenderness. It is a tenderness that is more tender than you know. In the spring, when those green shoots start to come, push out of the earth, and they're very light green. They're very pale green often and they're very tender and it's a miracle how that tenderness can penetrate such cold earth or such hard concrete as we see that's extraordinary every time I see that in the city or the pavement where that tenderness actually has a power that Our ordinary mind couldn't possibly, doesn't kind of make sense. How could something that tender, that delicate, that gentle, that unimposing, how could it have such power to penetrate the fabric of hardness, of concreteness, Ever felt your mind like concrete, like lead? Ever felt your heart-mind like lead, like rubber? Ever felt resistant here? (laughs) Anyone not felt resistant here? It doesn't make sense to our ordinary conception that something so fine has such a power. And yet this this particular aspect of compassion, this tender aspect is just like those shoots that arise out of the earth, this closer to us and because it's closer to us, because it's what we are, it can start to permeate the woundedness, the separateness, hardness the stuckness it can like an ether meet the places where all of the stuck bandages we've tried to put on our heart can start to let them lift a little so we can find out what's really true actually all those beliefs that say well therefore I'm suffering therefore I'm good or therefore I'm bad or therefore I'm we can actually start to hear those hear those cries Quan Yin this is the a personification, an embodiment a, a representation of this quality which we can call it a balm from beyond, and sometimes it feels like it's beyond. But it's not beyond. It's not other than what we are. Beyond simply means beyond our known, what is currently known to us. Beyond simply means beyond what is our current limited conception of what's possible. That's what beyond means. It's not something kind of um, esoteric. And there's a lot beyond what we already know, isn't there? I think Yana might have spoken a bit about not knowing yesterday. Did he? No. (laughs) Okay, he thought he did. (laughs) Um, Or maybe I thought he did. But okay, suffice to say at this point, you know, no matter how bright we are, how much you know, you don't have to be here for very long to realize there's a hell of a lot you don't know, don't you? I mean, you're not going to get it all in the library there. There's something about another kind of knowing that is beyond all of the beautiful concepts, even beyond the Buddha's words of how he could possibly describe the path. We have to experience it. We have to come into this territory to start to enter into that which is apparently beyond. But it's simply beyond our current view. So Kuan Yin, the um, words that go with her, Bodhisattva of Compassion, it's she who can hear the cries of the world. She who can hear or he who can hear the cries of the world (coughs) and this quality of hearing which we associate with our ears because that's the most obvious part of the hearing right we can hear cries but there's this inner hearing that can go very deep to hear and in the case of your practice it looks like it's our own cries the cry that says yeah but i'm bad this will never end or ah help get me out of here or something really simple like when's the damn bell going to go right that's a cry or you know i've never been able to do this i don't can we start to hear those cries it's a very different thing to hear them than to completely identify with them Or completely push them away. She who hears the cries of the world, hearing that in us at all kinds of different levels. Emotional hurt, historical hurt, the the, the pain of separation, the pain of this encapsulated sense of self. i just invite you to breathe for a minute together with the capacity to hear the capacity to hear right now which might be that you hear the silence you don't have to go find the cry right now so let yourself open to hearing And if any of you, and I know some of you do, come and listen to the silence, sometimes in the early morning in here or late at night, listening to the silence, it's something very fine, isn't it? Something that we can tell permeates all things, this hearing. This silence and within that, at times, then the cries arise. Can we hear those too? Because she who hears the cries is not identified with the cries, she's intimate, more intimate, more intimate. than what our mind can conceive of that intimacy is, which normally has to do with two things getting together, doesn't it? Intimacy is like, it's two things and they get intimate, right? Even let go of that idea about what intimacy is. This hearing, this compassion is more intimate than two things getting together. It's our nature. The intimacy is inevitable and unavoidable, and a lot of our suffering is our resistance to that fact of our interconnection. The resistance that we don't really, even though we like the idea of knowing that we're interconnected, sounds lovely. The journey to really get it experientially, that it's known, head-centre, heart-centre, belly center, that that's really known requires for most of us a journey that has pain in it at times, sometimes a lot of the time. I heard a story, I think it comes from uh, India, where it's in a way it's saying, okay, you, you, you've asked for a spiritual journey, watch out. Basically, And it says, um, yes, do your sitting, say your prayers, do your chanting, bang your cymbals, but watch out. Because the gods will come and put you on their altar and they will light a furnace underneath you. And they won't let go until the base metal has turned into pure gold. The base metal, the limited perception of what we are, the not knowing, the extraordinariness of who and what we are. And in this case it's the quality of compassion, it's one aspect. Yeah, that journey sometimes means we get heated up and bent out of shape. And the base metal is heated and reshaped and that reshaping process doesn't always feel good until it turns to pure gold, the gold of the gold that you see in the religious iconography, the gold around the Buddha. sometimes he's even presented as gold, but it's not just the Buddha, it's not just the the Buddha uh, I don't know if I mentioned this the other day. The Buddha is not just fully awake, he's also the perfect teacher. It's a whole other set of attributes he's got. Don't don't worry about that. Right? The possibility to be fully awake without being the Buddha. So some of it, some of our ambivalence actually even though we like the idea of compassion some of our ambivalence to really resonate pulsate along with the cries of the world is because it hurts Um, and the normal ego ways that we find of being with that either it hurts and we kind of start swimming in it we kind of drown in it you know what it's like there's so much pain in the world Sometimes I can't open to all of that because I'm going to drown in it. It's too much. There's a piece from um, Neaponica Terra. Terra? Terra? Sounds funny in my accent. Neoponica Terra, a, a fine teacher from the Theravada. He says, The world suffers, but most people have their eyes and ears closed. They do not see the unbroken stream of tears flowing through life. They do not hear the cry of distress continually pervading the world. Bound by self, their hearts turn stiff and narrow. It is compassion that removes the heavy bar, opens the door to freedom and makes the narrow heart as wide as the world makes the narrow heart as wide as the world. So, do you have any ambivalence to pain and suffering? I mean, of course we do. It hurts. And one of the things that... um, Seems like a very important feature of this territory as the base metal is being turned to gold is that we can feel very vulnerable in that process. Feel very vulnerable, all our old supports of how we tell ourselves who we are and what we are and what everything is, as we start to see that that too is a construction, whoever we tell ourselves we are from the most fantastic to the most terrible, whatever self-definition is coming from our own mind to ourself, it's Mara. It's a delusion. Any fixed view, self-view. So as we let go of those, as we start to see that they don't really hold up, we can feel very vulnerable. At least our old definitions were some way of having some kind of rope to hold on to but in the path those definitions start to be seen for what they are simply as conditioned definitions we can feel vulnerable and this is what we're often ambivalent to vulnerability for many of us and certainly from our history can mean being vulnerable to the bad stuff being vulnerable to being impacted from our own mind, from outside, apparently. But there's another way of understanding what true vulnerability is in terms of the path as we mature and become, as we're adults, as we have our practice, our mindfulness, our investigation, our refuges, our sangha, our place to come sit with whatever is going on. Vulnerability is actually a necessary condition for learning. If we're not open to being impacted, we don't learn anything, actually. Vulnerability is literally the condition of our openness, our complete openness. that is there in the small child the child doesn't have the maturity yet doesn't have the capacity to discriminate to be able to say no that's not appropriate right now or yes this is but the quality is the same right that quality in the in the the example that comes to mind I mean I'm you know sometimes around my nieces and nephews but most of them are going beyond one now they're all older We had um, one of the staff's young children here uh, Christmas last Christmas. It's a long time ago now, and she brought her new baby in, who was three months, and her little one, who was nearly two, I think. (coughs) And you can see the openness. The openness in that little one, the three-month-old, is very fluid still. He hadn't even kind of got any location up in his head center yet. He's in his body, completely in his body, you know, this small little being. And, you know, the eyes don't even, you know, like we kind of think we're kind of located up here, most of us. Sort of we look at each other and we're... Because we we kind of we've kind of come to land a little bit more in our brain, which is necessary. It's certainly a necessary function. It's just not the whole of who we are, right? But at that point, he's he's fluid. It's completely fluid, and you know, a little hurt happens here, and the foot starts quivering at the end, and you can see the impact of the sound on him. Somebody makes a noise, and the whole body. Everything moves, it's all fluid, it's all open, it's all very vulnerable to impact, it's very tender, it's very delicate, but it's so open, so open, nothing's got fixed, nothing's got solid yet. Even the one close to two, he, of course, he's done a lot of work up here by two, if we've got a, you know, healthy brain development, (coughs) And it's important, fantastic, what's happened for him between three months and two years old. So he's, I don't think he was quite two, but he's really getting the concepts together and, you know. But it was also very interesting to notice when somebody asked him, what's your name? And, you know, if I ask any of you, probably even after sitting for a couple of weeks, it doesn't take you long to find it. Right, We're quite well conditioned, we know. Yes, yes, I'm Catherine. Right. Took him a bit longer, and, and I'd been sitting, you know. When you're sitting, you have the sensitivity, you can perceive what's happening. Someone said, what's your name? And you could see he was still really open. He was way out here. He was in his body, but he was also really out here. Took him a while, he had to kind of collect. All that openness had to kind of collect and land. And he said, Christopher. Right? It t- it's a- takes a while. We do it like lightning because we're all smart and wired up well. Well, relatively well. you know, Functional enough up there. But mistaking that for the openness of what we are is where we feel bereft. We're not trying to become those children. It's not that kind of path those children don't know their openness they're not awake to the extraordinary fact of what they are actually that comes later that's the part that's part of the maturity awakening to what we really are they're just getting it together here all right they've got a whole process to go through of learning and becoming an ego and getting separate so that we can self-reflect and it's all important but what we're doing here is... Going beyond that, understanding it, that process of where we do solidify, shrink down, mistake the concept for what we are. The good concept, the neutral concept, the bad concept. The vulnerability is part of reconnecting with that openness. This time the vulnerability comes with our wisdom. We can be impacted by the depth of what we are. If we want to know our depth, we need to be open to that. We need to be impactable by that. Compassion is something that impacts us. Impact doesn't mean something horrible. Impact means something has power. And power in this case of compassion is something so deep, so powerful that it can allow us to be with the most painful places in such a way that we can start to see what is really true here oh that belief that said i'm i'm rotten i'm useless oh yeah i hear that it's just it's a belief the ether can lift it off can start to be liberated and so, the process of the liberation of all beings, whether they arise internally or whether they appear to arise externally, is really not so different. The Buddha himself, I would say, it's not, a, it's not something that I hear taught particularly, but I would say he was extremely vulnerable. Yes, very wise, very deep, very profound, very clear, very bright, had a brilliant mind. One of the things that is said about the Buddha, um, not by himself, but by his followers, (coughs) was one of his qualities was that he um, was thinking how it's chanted in the verses, how to say, translate it, he could meet perfectly and teach perfectly each person according to where they were. So he's not just saying, oh, okay, go back to the breath every time. I mean, that's a useful practice. That's a really useful practice. But as he works with people, as he ha- works with his monks and nuns and lay people, it's precise according to who and what they are and where they are. That's real compassion. To be able to really perceive where someone is or where you yourself are, we need to be able to be impacted by that being, by ourself. Let ourselves impact ourselves. in his walking around North India 2,500 years ago. A little more now, isn't it? 2,600 years ago. That quality of vulnerability lets him be able to respond. The vulnerability is what allows us to be able to respond to ourselves and to the world. If we're not impacted and open to that, we're just going to be coming out of our old ideas actually so hmm yeah take a moment to breathe together because My wish is that this teaching isn't abstract in any way. This is something that is relevant moment to moment while you're practicing mindfulness of foot touching the earth. Mindfulness of your foot touching the earth. Your hand touching the doorknob and opening it. Your hands in the dishwashing water as you're doing the lunch wash-up. As you're attending with your breath and your body and your beauty and your neutralness and your stillness and your pain. Right here as you attend to this right now that you're breathing in with the sensitivity to this human predicament. Breathing out with the sensitivity so the mindfulness can be both clear and crisp and discerning at the same time as being profoundly sensitive tender friendly gentle tender green permeating whatever is met Not as something that you have to do, but as a natural consequence of being willing to be with our human predicament. And here we can start to see then that the love is something that, the compassion is something that arises in response to suffering. But love has many faces, and we're not always suffering. When that love meets joy or someone's happiness, there can be delight in that. It's the same face, it's the same tender aspect that can meet what is beautiful and wholesome and delight in that. That can meet another being and is unobstructed and undefended in the friendliness. The same friendliness that people talk about when they go and meet the cows in the field over there. Sometimes it's easier with animals that, that don't have the same, I don't know, sorts of identity issues. They've got different ones, I don't know, whatever it is. What makes it hard for us to meet sometimes another human being, all the projections and all the things who they remind me of and all of that, which makes that simple, vulnerable meeting sometimes a little harder. That's the advanced course, Right, bringing this quality into the human realm. But let's say you're meeting the cows, good, play, good intermediary to practice with. That natural friendliness that can be there. Sometimes you might be a little afraid if you've never hang out with cows very much. But there can be a natural, spontaneous, undefended friendliness because we you, you resonate. There's a being there, something that's sensitive, that's impactable, that just wants the best. However it is that a cow conceives that for herself. I've no idea. But we know that we recoil from pain and we relax in friendliness. Which I heard in a nice poem yesterday. Did I bring it? Yes. So this is where the compassion practice then opens out to understanding the naturalness of our interconnection, not something you have to work towards and you'll get there later, Once you're better, that's just an idea. Consider the generosity of a one-year-old who has no words to exchange with you yet and instead offers her favourite drooled-on blanket, her green dinosaur as big as she is, her cloth doll with the long pigtails. If you were outdoors, she would hand you a dead beetle, a fistful of grass, a pebble, by way of introduction, or just because. And if a moment later she wanted it back, it would be for the joy of the game that makes every simple object an offering. In the same way, sun drapes a buttered scarf across your face. Rose opens herself to your glance, and rain shares her divine melancholy, The whole world keeps whispering or shouting to you, nibbling your ear like a neglected lover. The whole world keeps whispering or shouting to you, nibbling your ear like a neglected lover. And if you take a breath, whether or not the poem impacted you, just taking a breath, This is what's being pointed to, that all moments, even the most insignificant ones, the most painful ones, the most beautiful ones, each moment is an offering actually for us to understand the truth of our profound interconnection that is more knowable than our name is knowable that is more inevitable than the concepts in our mind, that is closer to us, because it is what we are, actually. So in practice, remembering who and what we truly are, know if I felt like a one-year-old this morning but I read the poem and somebody had just bought me these my husband had just bought me these Um, so it was the line about the rose opening herself to you what did it say the rose opens herself to your glance you know we're not so different and letting each moment be an offering that we can learn from so I'll leave her or him here um, at the front till lunchtime if you want to there's some outside still amazingly in November Um, at least there were last time I looked but I'll leave this one here, she has some water Um, if you want to meditate with the rose you're welcome, I'll collect her at lunchtime Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.